from KQED. And now, uh, as promised, we're going to talk about these two Supreme Court decisions that were rendered earlier this morning in a 7-2 to two vote. The Supreme Court ruled this morning in favor of two California churches, arguing they should not have to face employment discrimination lawsuits brought by former teachers. The ruling makes it so that religious schools are exempt from most employment discrimination claims, expanding re- religious freedom. And the Supreme Court today also cleared the way for the Trump administration to expand exemptions for employers who have religious or moral objections to complying with Obama's care, Obamacare's contraceptive mandate. And we're going to talk with David Levine, professor at UC Hastings College of the Law, about these rulings and other Supreme Court decisions expected to come. And welcome, David Levine. Always good to have you Thank with you, us. Thank you, Michael. Good morning. Good morning to you. And, uh, well, we've got a couple of examples here of the court siding with religious groups and religious liberty, don't we? We sure do. Uh, I think this is going to end up being a trilogy with the one from a couple weeks ago uh, involving those uh, the private schools in Montana, where the Supreme Court said that Montana and, and many other states could not uh, limit uh, public school funds that uh, school uh, school funds to go to religious schools. And in these two, as you said, uh, the one involving two schools down in Southern California, where. One, uh, one plaintiff alleged that she was the victim of age discrimination. The other plaintiff alleged that she was the victim of disability discrimination because she had uh, told the school that she had breast cancer. And in both cases, these two teachers were not given new contracts. Well, the Supreme Court said that under what's called the ministerial exception, uh, that these teachers who were primarily secular teachers, they teach things like English, math, spelling, to Uh, fifth and sixth graders, but they also led a daily prayer. They also, at least from a workbook, did some religious instruction, but that was enough for them to come within the ministerial exception, and that basically it's for for the uh, institution, in this case, the Catholic schools, to say who it is who is responsible for uh, inculcating students with faith, et cetera, and that the uh, government shouldn't second-guess that opinion. And by seven to two, uh, the Supreme Court agreed with that idea. So it, it blows a huge hole in discrimination law. Uh, you'll remember earlier in the term, there was the case about uh, protection of lesbian and gays uh, and transgender under Title VII. Well, in the religious school context, that's gone this morning. And well, then, uh, if, for the, if I, you want me to go on to the second one? Yeah, go on to the second one. I want to, I want to kind of break them down with you, but uh, Okay, please. and then we'll come back. All right, the other one's called Litter Sisters of the Poor, and this has to do with the contraception mandate in the Affordable Care Act. And um, this cause, the statute requires contraception to be included among the health, uh, the kind of uh, uh, procedures that are available under the Affordable Health Care, under Obamacare. And that's caused some consternation. Uh, We've had other cases, the famous Hobby Lobby case, saying that, well, if a privately held corporation had religious scruples, they didn't have to offer contraception. And then the Supreme Court, in the year that Justice Scalia died, uh, asked the parties, the Obama administration and the parties, including the Little Sisters of the Poor, the lead plaintiff here, to try and come up with some accommodation because the Little Sisters even objected to the idea that they would have to tell their health insurers that they didn't want to uh, give the contraception uh, coverage. And so instead, the, by this point, then the Trump administration uh, was involved because of the change of administration. And the Trump administration came up with a very broad exemption, both for religious and moral reasons, 
that you could just, as an employer, you could just say, we don't want to provide contraceptive coverage. And while there's some nuance to it, basically, as you said, by seven to two, uh, Justice Thomas, for the majority, said that was okay, that we could have this big, big exception in the Affordable Care Act, both for religion and for moral scruples. So, mm-hmm. so what, what do you want to know, Michael? Well, the moral uh, was the one that caught my attention because I understand uh, this uh, from a religious perspective, but, and it's very delicate balance between religious freedom and women's health that we're talking about here. But, you know, someone can say, uh, I don't want to pay the uh, 600 to to $1,000 that are paid for women to have contraception, about 70,000 women we're talking about here to uh, maybe 126,000. Uh, would lose contraception coverage. They could say, I'm doing it for moral reasons, I guess, and I don't know how nuanced that has to be. But uh, let me first of all invite listeners to weigh in on either or both of these decisions. We do want to hear from you and hear your thoughts on them. And if you have questions for our guest, David Levine, please feel free to bring them forward. Uh, And again, Professor Levine is Professor of Law at UC Hastings College of the Law. Our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. We do welcome your involvement, so please feel free to join us now. Again, the number. 866-733-6786 or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you might have or comments or responses to these two cases to forum at kqed.org. Let's talk first about uh, what you just talked about last, and that is the sense of uh, contraception as it goes back to the Affordable Care Act and the Little Sisters of the Poor, because what uh, this essentially means is... um, uh, as I said, or apparently means, is those uh, employers who say they have moral beliefs, I, I don't know how that uh, can be codified exactly. David, can you lend some light here? Well, this was, you're, you're right on the point where Justice Kagan and Justice Breyer concurred, saying that it was possible to write regulations, but they made it very clear that there's more to this case. We're not done with it entirely. Uh, and that the question that they raised in their concurrence is whether it was arbitrary and capricious and whether it was consistent with the act, indeed, to add in that moral objection to this broad exemption. It really opens it up tremendously versus the narrow point that the Little Sisters were making, saying we are so devoted to our beliefs that even telling the insurance company that we don't want to cover contraception was too much for us. That's a very narrow exception, but this regulation potentially is very broad. So we don't absolutely know what will happen when the case goes back down or the cases go back down uh, for further consideration. And it might be uh, that the moral portion of this will drop away. And of course, if and when there's a new president in January, maybe we will have one, maybe not. But the uh, government would be totally free to change these regulations again. There was a scathing dissent from Justice Ginsburg. Can you talk a bit about that? Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah, Uh, Justice Ginsburg uh, very strongly dissented on this, particularly on this question of the moral uh, statement, which she she basically accused Justice Thomas of misreading the statute because she kind of pointedly said, look, I'm quoting the entire statute and you essentially are deliberately not doing that, Uh, emphasizing, look, the Affordable Care Act requires contraception. This is this was very important in the act, and that any exception should be as narrowly drawn as possible, and that particularly when you focus on the moral objection, it just blows a hole uh, potentially in that protection for women uh, to have covered contraception. And uh, yeah, she and Justice Sotomayor uh, can, joining her were adamant about this. It's a really strong dissent uh, 
talking about talking about that issue ex exactly as you said. Same two justices were in dissent on the other decision as well. And I'm looking at a tweet now from a listener, KD, who writes, horrible news for women. Anyone who is female or has daughters should be irate. As a Catholic, I believe in birth control, and I think it should be a human right to avoid unwanted pregnancies. Haven't we learned from the past? Churches are exempt from way too much. The fact of the matter is we've got five justices that are Catholic on the court. Uh, is that a part of this, David, do you think? Well, uh, Justice Sotomayor joined that rather vehement dissent, and uh, she wrote the dissent in the uh, in the school in the school discrimination case. Uh, so it isn't necessarily part of it. Uh, obviously, with both of these cases, it happens that these are Catholic institutions. So you can't tell exactly, but it's but it's part and parcel with the project of the conservatives to expand. Uh, religious belief and to expand that power in different ways. And indeed, in both of these cases, uh, or particularly in the, uh, uh, the school case, uh, we had a concurrence which would have pushed even further, uh, that would have gone even further on, on, this, on these questions. So it's definitely part of this project to go in that direction. Now, again, on the contraception question, it's not that women can't have it. But the, again, what the majority said was, it's a question of who's going to pay for it. Right. And if it happens that you work for an employer who otherwise would be mandated to offer coverage, okay, then it's a question of being paid. But a lot of people are not covered. If you work for a small employer, you're not covered by the Affordable Care Act. And there's any number of other exemptions. Uh, so it's not a matter of being forbidden, but it is a hugely important question of who pays for it. And for a lot of women, they can't pay these uh, these amounts, and particularly uh, in, a, in the world that we have now, where so many people have even lost their health coverage. So for a lot of women, it's a very significant issue. Yeah, in fact, I had given the figure that's been estimated between 600 and 1,000 paying out uh, annually, but actually that would be more, for example, for IUD or longer-acting contraceptives. And uh, we're going to get some callers on here. Uh, I want to go back to the other case in a moment, but what do you make out of the fact that you have uh, a couple of justices from what are traditionally was traditionally described as a liberal wing, uh, Stephen Breyer and Elena Kagan, who joined the majority in both these cases. Some light on that? Right. Well, on the Little Sisters case, they were careful to write to explain what they were agreeing with and what had been decided and what, what hadn't been decided. Uh, in the Little Sisters case, the contraception case, what I think Kagan and Breyer are doing is that they are holding on to the idea that uh, the court should be deferential to administrative agencies. And in this case, that's what was going on uh, in the sense that the Trump administration could issue a regulation. But they also held the ground that the um, it was still open to discuss the question as whether it was arbitrary and capricious, particularly with respect to the moral part of this, that you could just say, I have moral scruples against contraception, and therefore I don't want my employees to be able to have it covered. Now, in the other case, in the uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe case, the school case, uh, again, uh, maybe a mystery is Kagan and Breyer. This time, they didn't even write. They joined Justice Alito's opinion in full, and they didn't set out separate ground. And what seems to be the issue is that they don't want to get uh, the courts entangled in the question of deciding who qualifies under this ministerial exception. Uh, that it would just be too hard to make distinctions. And both of them at the oral argument asked a lot of questions about this uh, to try to draw the line. Right now, what we know is that teachers, 
uh, in a school with a religious mission, if they have some responsibility uh, with respect to faith, uh, teaching faith, they are going to qualify. Now, yeah, but some of them are teaching all of maybe uh, for, you know, 20, 40 minutes uh, in a day and all the cor other courses are secular and uh, many, well, of them are not, many of them are not Catholic or have no, you know, Catholic. They're not uh, required to be Catholic, that's for right. sure. And so I think what, where we'll then get into issues are going to be things like, uh, what about somebody who's hired as a sports coach and who comes in in the afternoon to uh, supervise and teach a particular sport. And let's say the custom at the school was you start with a little prayer uh, and the uh, teacher, let's say, allows, or the coach allows the student to lead the prayer. Are they then uh, going to be covered in this ministerial exception? What about camp counselors? What about nurses? These are ones that Justice Sotomayor pointed to. So there's still uh, some ambiguity in the case, but I do think that if you look at the hundreds of thousands of people who teach in religious schools as quad teachers, full-time teachers, they certainly can be classified. They don't have to be, but can be classified under this ministerial exception. And that means they will lose protection under Title VII if they're discriminated against. Again, contrast it with the LGBT case the other day, a, uh, a, a religious school could say, oh, we, decided, we discovered you're gay, you're out of here. And under this new case, the answer is gonna be, you have no recourse. David Levine with us, professor at UC Hastings College of the Law. Paul writes, so if I have a deeply held moral conviction that black men shouldn't get whatever service or good I provide, then I'm free to discriminate. If religious organizations don't want to participate in a non-discriminatory society, then they should not be exempt from paying taxes. Let me get Joseph on. Joseph, join us. Welcome. Yeah, uh, my question is, uh, as far as the uh, Supreme Court decision, does this not open a precedent as far as the moral standing for a, an employer that... Uh, that has a religion that uh, that uh, believes in more of a holistic approach when medicine is involved, and would would that allow them to deny uh, their employees uh, scientific medication? Good question, Professor Levine. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I guess we'll have to see what the implications are down the line. Uh, I always thought that this this uh, case would have been a much harder one for the Supreme Court if, say, this had been an exemption regarding vaccines. Say somebody claimed a moral objection to a vaccine mandate, but instead it's a contraception mandate. And the, uh, you know, the Supreme Court sometimes will act a little differently there. The in the specific question, does it mean somebody could just say, I have this uh, objection? Uh, that would have to be litigated. What, what is at issue here is the validity of regulations that the Human Resources and Services Administration issued granting this exemption. Uh, whether the Trump administration in a second, you know, in a second term wanted to expand that in the way the caller suggests, that would be for another day. Or whether somebody in that situation could just sue on their own, saying I have a moral objection, we would have to see what would happen, how far would that go? But but again, I would contrast, I just think it would be an interesting thought experiment, contrast how we'd feel about this case if it were in a moral objection of vaccines versus a moral objection of contraception. Let me bring another caller on. Tawny joins us next. Tawny, welcome. You're on the air with us. Hi, thank you so much. I have a, a question. I honestly believe that um, this appears to be such a gross imposition of someone else's religious beliefs on all the employees, uh, you know, the corporate belief imposed on every employee. So have the employees all lost their right to religious freedom? 
is one question. The second one is um, this appears to have permanently pierced the corporate veil that they have reached out and made a personal uh, imposition on employees. Will this have legal implications on other ways of suing um, the uh, principals in a corporation the other way because the corporate veil appears to have been pierced by reaching through it down to personal uh, impositions. That's basically my question. Well, thank you for those, Tony. Appreciate it. And let me go to David Levine again. David? Sure. Very important questions. Again, I, I think you want to look at the, na the narrowness of the little sister's opinion in the sense that it has to do with regulations issued by the administration to try to implement the Affordable Care Act, and it doesn't really go beyond that, uh, so that the broader questions that you're raising really would be for another day, uh, how far those, uh, those, claims, those claims would go. Um, so we, we just don't know. But, but again, it's, this one is narrow, and, we'll, and when you look at what Kagan and Breyer did to say, wait a minute, you know, we're not on board with all of this. We'll have to see. But again, it's something where the stakes in November are very, very high because these things could be changed with a new administration or expanded with a continuation of our current administration. You know, I noticed, David, uh, both these uh, cases involving um, school decisions and ministerial roles, so to speak, uh, in, were in California. And one involved a young woman named uh, Kirsten Beal, who was a fifth grade teacher who had breast cancer and was fired by the principal uh, for really no cause that could be discerned. Uh, I guess he had that right. But right after that, uh, he came under investigation and was actually convicted for embezzlement of about a half million dollars. So the case involved his, her widower because she died of breast cancer. Uh, it's, it's kind of a thorny case in many ways when you really take it apart and dissect it. Well, it is. And one of the points the dissent made was this was on summary judgment. The lower court didn't have an opportunity to get into all of this. Was the decision not to give Ms. Beale a new contract uh, indeed due to the fact that she disclosed that she had breast cancer and needed a leave of absence? Or was it something else? Uh, so the, uh, you know, the dissent said we should allow this to at least be tried. Let's see what happens in the case. Uh, so, so you're right about some of these uh, other issues that surround it. And so we'll just have to see how far this goes, uh, you know, as, as we proceed with lower court cases going you, on. You bet. Lots is looming. <laughs> Lots okay. of questions. And we, didn't even get to, and we didn't even get to taxes yet. No, we didn't. But we, we did a good job, I think. You did a great job on the, uh, on the two cases we did talk about. Thank you, David. Always good to have you. You bet. That's David Levine of Hastings College of the Law. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.